I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Jesse Heyman. We're going to dive into men's mental health. Let's talk about it. Uh, okay, cool. Um, yo, so before uh, before we like dive straight into things, can you tell the guys where you just were? Is that okay to say yeah, that? Yeah, okay, I sweet. Can, I can I can talk about where I was. So <laughs> a brothel? I'm, I'm Jewish. Okay, um, not the best Jew in the world, but uh, but I happen <laughs> to be Jewish. Um, and but my family, parts of my family, are pretty religious. And so my li- the first Haman boy of my generation was just born. So I guess sorry, the next generation. And uh, they had a bris. A bris is where the boy gets the tip of his penis cut off. And it, I mean, it's a weird thing because you would think like take it to the hospital, uh, we'll and leave him there and get it cut off. But they do it at a home. And they invite yeah, all Tay. friends and family. Oh, yeah, so they, I they, was at this home. Well, there's like, a Seinfeld episode about this. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's yeah. got to be one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, we probably had 200 people there. Whoa. Um, wow. I stayed in the kitchen while it's happening. But, like, everyone gets quiet. They give it a little snip. And then I believe they give the baby a little bit of wine or whiskey. Like, no way, like a really? Killer, like Whoa. off the rabbi's finger. Are people like? Are people trying to That's get crazy. like a better view? Like two hundred people <laughs> in a house. Are they like jostling for position to kind of like peek up over and see the? It's kind of like a concert. There are those people that jostle yeah. for position that like want front row, <laughs> and then there's me and my sister and whoever else that are like sitting on the couch. We're in the good. kitchen, hanging we're, out like, yeah. we're good. We're good, thanks. Um, but yeah, it gets it gives a little snip. And I was saying to Jeremy, and I don't know, don't quote me on this, but um, it used to be, and I believe it's still done by Orthodox rabbis, that they bit the tip of the penis off. Like they were, How wild whoa, is that? Really? Dude, and I believe they on. still, like Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish people right. still do do that. Man. Orthodox, or, an Orthodox Jew is 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 like, Curly, they wear the ha- they wear hats and the long and the long jacket. Uh, I, mean, I don't think it's depending on like I don't think it it's changes depending on ages yeah. and and like who you are and what you're doing. But generally, yeah, an Orthodox Jew would be would usually be someone that you see wearing a hat or Dude, or you, they have the like the kids will have the payas, which is like the, the curly, curly sideburn. Sideburns. Yeah, uh, you'll Dude, see if you, uh, and, or sorry, uh, seat seat, which is like the like. Hangy thing, uh, they're like a uh, piece of fabric hanging from outside. It was like a shorts. little knot at the bottom. Right. Yeah. Are there any Orthodox Jews who don't pr- like subscribe to the clothing side of things? Uh, I would have assumed there's lots of them. Okay, it, it would just be there's certain things like covering up and not like uh, Orthodox man can't touch another woman other than his wife. Oh, uh, same thing with a woman; she can't right. shake the hand of a man. Or That's so like interesting. That. Like eh? yeah. Wow. How, do, how, like, you got to be real precise with a circumcision, I would assume. You know, Dude, you're so like, small. You want, yeah, I would hope yeah, so. Yeah, so, like, so, like, man, your teeth, you, you must have that down pat. If you're biting off the tip of a dick, uh, you might, you must be like, you got, you must have your... <laughs> You must have your like, like a really good. Uh, How do you uh, practice for it before yeah. your first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm you saying. want the the like kicker. Yeah, the kicker yeah. is <laughs> you're supposed to plant it in your house, like what in, in the soil. Really? What? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> uh, I was talking to my aunt today, and I'm like, Does a tree are they, grow are from they it? Planting it. Uh, well, that's what I said. And I'm like, Shauna, where do you think like that's where penis trees come? And my aunt, who's like very uh, conservative, is just like, yeah, yeah, that's where they make dick trees. And you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> uh, we grew Jesse in this plant. Um, okay, well, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, the bris. Um, uh, but Jesse, you, uh, you are... Uh, you're a gentleman here living in Toronto, um, and you do a lot of work in the, the sort of like mental health sector, if you will. Uh, but not, not like from a, uh, you're not like a, a a medical professional by any means, I'm assuming, I'm guessing. Uh, why don't you tell people what you're, what you're up to these days? 
what am I up to these days? I work for a youth mental health organization called Jack.org, which is probably the biggest thing that I'm up to, which essentially is the only network of young people and mostly students, uh, national network across Canada that's essentially putting mental health in the hands of young people uh, to ensure that they're a key part of the conversation for youth mental health across Canada. Most of the time what happens with like advocacy groups and um, organizations that are built to help something, uh, they don't have to include those people in as front and center both in their thoughts and opinions um, and make sure they're the key part of the change that's happening. And so mm. uh, essentially Jack.org is we have 2,500 students across Canada that are trained leaders. Um, so how do you identify uh, barriers to positive mental health in your community? And then you, how do you build uh, a plan to break them down year round? And so that's what those 2,500 leaders are doing. We have a bunch of different programming, but essentially it's putting it in the hands of young people, not only because we need them, they have – they view – what the issues are in a very different way, which changes from region to region, mm-hmm. um, but that they deserve to be there. There's a lot of smart, smart young people around Canada that are doing incredible things, and we just want to bring them in, yeah. help them well, learn how to be better leaders, and unleash them. We just spoke with um, with um, I don't know if she's if, she, if she's a leader. Um, oh, I'm t- t- having a total mind blank. Allie, um, Allie, who um, suffers from. Uh, uh, panic attacks and, yeah, and, and anxiety. anxiety and, and she and was I, at jack.org. Yeah. Uh, she's from Halifax. Okay. And we met at jack.org, which is how we brought her in into the podcast. I spoke at jack.org this, yeah, the, yeah, the Jack absolutely. Summit this year. You were amazing. And dude, amazing summit. Like it's yeah. such a rad community. It's so right. cool to see all these, you know, young minds coming together and, and really looking to like make a huge difference. Um, how did jack.org start? So Jack.org started because a young man went to first year university. His name was Jack Windler. uh, His name was (laughs) Jack.org. And he obviously struggled in first year university and Mm -hmm. took his own life. Mm -hmm. And no one knew anything was wrong. And so Mm. his parents had seen behavior change, but young men changed quite a bit. And so he had backed off socially from friends. He had spent more time in his room playing video games, that sort of thing. But they didn't know that that was a warning sign because we're not well-educated right. well educated enough to understand what to look out for. And if you do see something, how do you say something? Um, he hadn't been to school for a couple months, and he ended up taking his own life. So his parents, uh, Eric Windler and Sandra Hannington, uh, started up Jack.org. Eric quit his job, sold his business, uh, and started up Jack.org as the executive director. And basically his goal was this shouldn't happen to other families. It shouldn't happen to young people. Mm-hmm. If you're struggling, you should be able to understand when you're struggling because a lot of people just don't even recognize what's wrong with them and that there is something going on in your head that you need to take care of. Um, but also, how do your peers recognize that you're struggling and what do they do when they realize that you are? It's it's not your parents that are going to see it in a big time of transition. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else. And uh, for anyone like Jack going forward, they wanted to make sure that young people know how to uh, be there for their friends. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's awesome that, that this is a conversation that young people are having now because I remember being uh, in in like junior high and high school and and mental health, the conversation about that was was non existent. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. So like having having that many people across Canada involved in an organization like this that and as and especially being a, a big part of fueling the conversation and leading the program, I think that that's that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, I went through. I I, I really kind of related um, um, the idea that for um, Jack mm-hmm. that you didn't, that no one saw the, that no one was able to kind of see the change because he's, because he's going through an adaptive period in his life where people are expecting change and right. it's hard to see. I went through a period of, I went through like a period of depression. I, I never, I didn't have, I was never diagnosed with depression. I went through probably like a six month period um, in my life uh, in high school in my grade 11 year. And I, I, I moved away from home, went to a boarding school in the U S and I and, and I only realized in hindsight that that's what was happening, but no one in my life would have known. Right. No, not a soul. Because I went to a new place and I I didn't really know many people at school, so no one at school knew. I'm 
hundreds of miles away from home, no one knows. But just that idea that to like in, in, in an era or in a time where it's non-existent, the conversation. Um, so that's really cool work. To Did open you up understand the then that you were going through something? Or? No, not not in the slightest. Yeah. What my brain knew was that I. Uh, I felt way more comfortable coming back to my dorm room, which was a single room and going to sleep. You know, what's super interesting about, about that. And you know, about the, the whole story of Jack and, and kind of what he went through Bridie, my wife used to work Mm -hmm. as the, as the facilitator for the Moksha yoga teacher trainings. Right. And Moksha yoga is a, it's a, it's a, a chain of, of hot yoga studios across the world. And, um, and so they hold like three teacher trainings a year and lots and lots and lots of people apply to be uh, applied to the training. And they only select like a, a small number, like 60 people per training or whatever. So Bridie's getting all these applications and she's reading through them. And one of the questions that they ask on the application is what is the what is the hardest thing you've ever had to go through? What is the what's the hardest experience you've ever had in your life? And like. Nine times out of 10, the response was people saying, moving away from home, going to university Mm. for the first time. Transition. It's a major shift. It's a major life shift. It's insane. And you don't know. And like what you like to that, to that degree. And because there's no conversation around it, I didn't, I would have, I would have had no education surrounding (laughs) the signs that what might come up for a person who is going through a depressive state. And as it relates to somebody who might be going through something that ends up going down a much more serious road, you know, I ended up making some friends, hockey season started, that started to lift. I got into my groove at school and then it was all good. But for somebody going through something where that doesn't lift and to not know the signs to ask for help or to have a support system to give help, I mean, you know, the conversation is so important. The, so many of the things you see out there are focused on like one in five. One in five people will suffer from a mental illness in their lifetime or each year, um, but very little about everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea, one of the messages that Jack Org's trying to spread and, and all the students across Canada is that it's not about the one in five for two reasons. One, every one of us has mental health it goes up and down every day. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite moments thing. Like you, you're not necessarily someone that suffers from depression, but you can go through a time of depression. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to like recognize what that is and all that stuff, you're not going to, you're not going to speak to someone. Mm. You're not going to get help. It may turn into something worse, right. but just the idea of like, take it away from extreme illnesses. Those, those are going to be there. Yeah. People are going to need treatment. They're going to need professional support. But all of us need to understand that we have mental health, that it goes up and down, and that you need to take care of it. Just like if your leg's hurting, you're going to stretch it a little bit because it's a little tight. Right. That's the thing that I took from Jack that 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 like that was the mind-blowing thing. that re- I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I never consider my mental health ever. I'm always thinking about my physical health, like my body. You know, oh, I have a stomach ache. What do I do? Well, I got to do something to like take care of that. Or, oh, I know that if I, if I like eat this particular thing, it's going to have an effect on me this way. Or I know that if I don't exercise, it's going to have an effect on me this way. But never do you, you really sit and think about how to proactively take care of your, your mental health. And that, that idea of like, we all have mental health. Cause I think when I, when I, before that, before that moment, I would hear mental health and I would just think, Oh, mental illness. Mental illness, exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're two very different things, but then, but there are two very similar things as yeah, well. And the, the other side of the five and five <coughs> is we also, like the message out there in media and everywhere right now is reach out, ask for help. And the reality is if you reach out and ask for help, you're generally not going to get it unless you have a significant amount of money to pay for private treatment. You're going to wait six months to a year to see a counselor, if that person's even good for you or a psychologist or whatever, and then you got to go through five different ones to find someone that works for you. And at the same time, your friends and your family generally don't know what to say. That's why stigma exists because we're not educated well enough. So if we just continue to put it on those one and five and then that person stands up, reaches out and asks for help, but can't get professional help for a year and their friends and family say the wrong things, well, then what what are we doing? Are we actually digging a bigger hole? So the other side is... It's great to break down stigma. It's great to have conversation and tell everyone to have a conversation and be comfortable talking. But if we're not at the same time educating each other on how to be there for each other, so in those six months, I can say to Taylor, like, 
hey, how you doing? And and understand and, and look for signs that like he may be struggling more and mm-hmm. say something if he is. So uh, I repeat it a lot, and it's pretty simple. But like we need to do a better job being there for each other. And you do that by educating yourself. Right now, there happens to really not be many resources to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. So we have to create them. Um, but ask questions. Be comfortable looking for, for what signs of struggle are. Say something. The amount of time someone says, today it happened to me at the Briss. Uh, I have a family member who's who seems suicidal in Vancouver. Do you know any walking places? Do you know any? And the answer, people are afraid to ask someone if they're if they're struggling that yeah. much. Don't Ooh. be afraid. The worst thing that happens is you piss off a friend. Uh, sorry, the the best thing that happens, I guess, is you piss off a friend. The worst thing is they kill themselves. It's it's preventable. Yeah, it's a simple message. It's preventable. The end is the end, period. Say something. Like, do mm. something about it. This work that you're doing, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, what led you to this? Is, is this something that you just kind of stumbled into through just, a, you know, a series of, yeah. like, events? Or did you, did you, have, um, did you have experience in, like, like, worrying about your own mental mm-hmm. health? Or Personally, I'm really lucky in that my mental health is... is pretty great and that I don't struggle with really anything that's serious. Uh, like, uh, oh, yeah. Rub it in, dude. Rub it down, in. Sure. Every, okay. uh, every up and down that uh, anyone else would have. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I dated uh, a girlfriend of mine a few years ago uh, who would be totally comfortable with me sharing this. And uh, she struggles with an eating disorder. And I worked in mental health. I worked from November for six years and, and definitely knew the men's side of things, but not the not how significant of an effect, at least I didn't see, it has on someone's life. And dating her for two and a half years and living with her, um, I learned a lot. And part of what I learned was how hard it is to be there for someone and how hard it is to learn mm-hmm. what to say, what not to say, how to do it, um, and how to truly support that person. And through it, I learned a lot. But the biggest thing was we need to do a better job teaching each other how to be there. And, uh, and that led me down the path of like wanting to be full on in mental health uh, and working in mental health and, and trying to bring people together. And then uh, we've spoken about this recently, uh, about five months ago, I, during all of this, lost my cousin uh, who died uh, from drug related issues. She was addicted to heroin and uh, was through rehab and uh, in and out of rehab a couple of times and then living in a sober living home and doing okay. And, uh, I guess she relapsed and whatever it was, it wasn't an overdose, but whatever it was, uh, whatever drug it was, we're still waiting to hear it <laughs> stopped her heart. Um, so that just, this, this is, uh, Alicia was my age, um, grew up with her, uh, my best friend. Uh, so it just further pushed me down that hole and that, um, I still deal with the grief part of it every day, but from the other side is like, what can you do uh, to live in her honor? So part of that for me is she was like that hippy dippy all over the place, you know, spells things wrong just because it's fun and weird to spell <laughs> things wrong. <laughs> um, and so just like to love more and, and, and push a little bit harder for people to, you know, be vulnerable with another, one another, have fun and, uh, so yeah, that's kind of where it led me to where I am. Did you find that that your experience in in um, dealing with mental health did that prepare you to deal with that grief? No, uh, I've never dealt with real grief before. Um, I I've lost people in my life, but no one that was that was like a full on tragedy should not like they were. They're not young and incredibly spirited and, and just should they, their life was too young and, uh, no one that's been that close to me that I've had a true, incredible relationship with. And, uh, I wasn't prepared for it. And, and honestly, you don't, you know, I don't think you can ever be prepared for that, that sort of thing. What I found amazing, um, not necessarily in a positive way, just interesting was seeing all of my family deal with grief in such different ways. Um, I generally could only really feel emotion when I was alone. And yeah. so like when everyone was like with each other, cause we were in the hospital for a few days, uh, when everyone was with each other, like kind of in the waiting room or, or in her room, I didn't feel, and I'm a pretty vulnerable person that can like share emotion and that sort of thing. I had to walk away from everyone. And that's when I would like truly feel things and being alone. There's a lot of anger, uh, 
both mm. towards myself, towards mm-hmm. her, towards the world, to, to kind of everyone, and still dealing with it on a daily basis, but trying why to do channel you, it through doing good things. Why do you think you couldn't express that that emotion like around your 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 loved ones, around that like family? Um, I don't know why. I think the the feeling I got was just like I couldn't connect with her when I was with them. Um, so I mean, mm. I was having them around was comforting. But I needed it to like break down a little bit, and yeah. I don't think it was a strength thing. Like I don't want to break down in front of people. Um, just for whatever reason, I needed to back away a little bit. And then you see other people that are like rocks, just rocks, and you know they're struggling, but they're able to come out and talk and update you, and talk to the family and like just be that that rock for the family. And everyone kind of plays their role, which is pretty incredible to see. Ooh. Something that, that Drew Dudley said, well, we, we before the live show last mm. night, we were sitting, we were uh, hanging around with Drew and shooting the shit and kind of talking about what we were going to do, what we were going to uh, chat about during the show. And something that he said, uh, which was really fascinating that, that I immediately clicked with was that he had, he, uh, in, I think December or January, he lost his, uh, his girlfriend to suicide and he said, you know, I, he said, I still haven't really cried yet. Like I haven't had that breakthrough emotional experience. And when I, when you're at the funeral, it's hard. Like, how do you process your grief? Cause you're, you're at the funeral going, thinking to yourself, am I doing this right? Like, am I, am yeah. I grieving properly? And you know, my grandmother died last spring and I remember being there and she was, you know, she died of, she was 91. Like, you know, she lived an amazing life. She's an amazing woman. And I, I, I remember being there and not being that emotional. And I chalked it up to that, that I lost her because she had a full life and she faded away mm-hmm. because she was, because she of old age. And I chalked it up to, to that. But I, I also was kind of going like, I felt for the first time almost self-conscious about what other people thought of how I was dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I was so self-aware of that. And, uh, you know, and it wasn't until the exact same with you. It wasn't until I could be really by myself that I actually had a good cry about it and could actually really grieve. Cause I didn't know how to do that in front of a room of people. Yeah. I think I would imagine everyone goes through those grieving. Like, am I doing this right? Yeah, not ju- not yeah. just like what other people see, but like, what am I doing? I definitely sat. I still do of like, there's this song that uh, really reminds me of her by uh, fish. And I put that on at night quite a bit and it makes me happy. Mm. And that makes me be like, it's what so the crazy. hell? This yeah. should make me like, it's reminding me of something that is really fresh, really, the, hopefully the most tragic thing that will ever happen in my life. Mm. And f- this song is making me happy. And I think the, the reasoning would probably be because it makes a connection to her mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm connecting with her, but like there's, there's the, always that, uh, at least with me, it's been, now you're saying it. Um, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. Like I should be crying. I should yeah. be a mess, but I'm standing here and I'm like strong. Like, yeah. what's, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Do you think that you like, I mean, so I, I, haven't experienced, um, grief in it, it really like closely. Um, and you know, we just recently spoke with, um, uh, Candace, uh, Reed, who is the, the wife of a, um, of a guest that we had on the show who passed away late and Reed, he passed away in January. Um, and we were talking about grief with her and how she grieved. And, and one of the things that she did, and obviously like her, her situation was like very, very intense, you know, she has a, they have a, they had a child together and, and he's, you know, Finn's only what, like three years old. And, and so obviously for her, there's a lot, she felt the need to like kind of research and do a lot of reading and, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and sort of investigate like what it is to grieve and how to grieve and how do you do that with a child and, and all those sorts of things. Has your grieving process been a very, um, introspective kind of just observing how you're, how you're grieving in one way or, or is there, because this is so close to you, um, have you done any sort of research and, and reading into how to grieve or? No, um, I, not really, uh, maybe a little bit at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally no, 
uh, it's been a process for me that I kind of have just gone with the flow. Yeah. Um, I've done the research thing. Um, when I was dating my ex, I did a lot of research and that's where I kind of came to that realization that there's nothing out there to teach you how to be there for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like a daily Googling deep, dark parts of forums that like no one's probably ever read. Uh, but the grief piece have just been a kind of go with the flow, see what happens. For me, that's been that's included bringing her friends together and and being around people I haven't had a relationship with in 15 years. But I grew up with like her best friend I haven't spoken to in probably eight years, and who she was my first kiss when I was eight years old behind cabin B at <laughs> summer, at yeah, summer right. camp, and like we're talking again. Uh, she's married, so nothing's happening there. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just been about bringing people together and like yeah. uh, something so horrible, I think, can go two ways for a family. It can tear a family apart and you just don't know how to relate to each other anymore or it can bring it together. And for the, for us, I think it's it's brought us together quite a bit. And um, and that's that's been pretty incredible in regards to helping, I guess, the grieving process. But no, it hasn't been a research thing for me. It's just been yeah. really, truly trying to make myself a little bit more easygoing, a little bit more open, a little more friendly, and to do that because that's how she'll live through us. The mm. thing that I find that's really interesting is that there's when you talk about grief, especially when grieving a loss of someone very, very, very close to you, it's it's like this whole new level of, of emotions that is sometimes never, ex like very rarely or infrequently experienced or never experience until later in your life. And it's interesting to tr try to understand how or what is the right way to react to this brand new emotion that you're experiencing for the first time when you're like 25, 30 years old. Um, Dude, or, or like when we were 15, yeah. 16 and we lost a friend of ours. Yeah, and I remember when the first time a, a close friend of mine, I sat by her in every single class that semester and, and I was away while we, when we found out that she had been hit by a car in a crosswalk and, and, and died. And the the first time uh, I found out and some somebody told me, I laughed because... You just don't believe it. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it was real. And it was like this overwhelming feeling that I just couldn't describe, but there was no tears. There was, it was like shock number one, but, and, and some type of sadness for sure. But it, it, I just didn't feel like my brain had the pathways to, to did, understand how to react properly. Did you laugh because you thought it was a joke and you were laughing at the joke or did you I've laugh no, I, because like you did understand and it was just this random, like way to emote. And I, I, I don't think it was a, I don't think I thought it was a, a joke because like that would be a really sick and twisted joke for somebody to make. And also the way that the person said it, it was very, it, it would just, it felt real, but it was right. almost like my brain thought <coughs> this is so impossible and, and can't possibly be true that it has to be something else. And it was just like this emotional reaction to the news that I didn't understand how to Ooh. comprehend. Well, at that time in your life, you think your idea of death is that happens later. Yeah. That happened. That's a thing that happens down the road. That doesn't happen now. And you do, you wear some of your grief on your hand. Like it's imprinted yeah, into I, you. I sat in, in class like a, a month and a half after and was still trying to understand. And, and I remember sitting next to a, a chair where my friend used to sit and I, I just had a pen and I was, her, her number in hockey was uh, 14 and I just started drawing and tracing it over and over in my hand until it bled. And like I, I have a scar on my hand to this day from doing that. And it, as a 16 year old kid, it's like, how else do you react? You're not, you're not taught that. It's not something that you're familiar with in any way. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks and you don't know how to respond to it. It's so funny. Like, you know, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the importance of, of acknowledging our, our mental health and, and, you know, being proactive and taking care of our mental health in the same way that we would be proactive in taking care of our physical health and talking about like exploring grief, um, and, and, you know, t dealing with that kind of on your own. And there's a whole, um, uh, slew or plethora, if you will, uh, two, two of my favorite words, uh, uh, of, of things that like we are Adjectives. not, that we, that we are not taught, um, in, 
school. Yeah. That just seems so like bonkers to me. That is not like completely, completely bonkers. It's like, so, you know, we have, we have, we have phys ed. We have a class where they go, Hey, move your body. Like throw a ball, run, fucking take care of your body. Fitness. Like you'd have to be fit. And they start simple and and they get more complicated. And they get more complicated. They don't do that at all with like, how do we be people? Yeah. I mean, fucking like, let's talk about about taxes. (laughs) I mean, you know, like, like things like there's so many things that you don't get taught in school that I, to me, it's just, it just seems, um, but that's a really good point with the the phys ed point is like, why don't we have the, why don't we have the mental equal equal and opposite? For mental, yeah. Why? Uh, why doesn't that exist? And I mean, I'm assuming, and I'm assuming that's like Jack.org is trying to totally. insert it's, itself. It's a hole we're trying to fill, and that's like we have different programming. Jack Talks is one of them. Is is kind of the intro to everything, and it's young people that are trained uh, speakers that go in. Usually, they're high, uh, university or college students. They go into high schools and speak to an auditorium full of usually the entire school, and it's a it's the initial conversation into what is mental health. How do you identify it? It's on a spectrum. Some people are far far on the spectrum that would be mental illness but we're all on it mm-hmm. um and that's that sort of idea is what we're trying to do it's actually nova scotia was i believe the first and this is recent they're now introducing mental health into their curriculum oh, i believe wow. it's don't quote me on this i believe it's starting at at grade eight um but it's uh, Ooh, significant yeah, investment awesome. into that's a pretty good time mental health into the curriculum mm-hmm. it's starting Cool in Nova Scotia, near where it needs to be. And I think other other places will follow suit. But it's yeah, the the schooling system does not teach you how to be a resilient person with your mind. Uh, It should. I really love the. I really love the what you said earlier about it's not about the one and five. It's about the five and five and teaching everybody. You know how do you how do you recognize it within yourself? How do you how do you try to talk about it? And how does the other eighty percent be a support and be educated? Um, you know, we've done, we've done, I don't know how many episodes on mental health. And obviously that has been a massive help for me. I remember what I do remember is the first time we talked about mental health and I was scared shitless. I said that, I said that mentioned that last night at the live show. I was so scared. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what am I like? I don't want to flip a switch. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to send her into a spiral. I don't want to say something offensive. I don't want to break her. I don't want to, I'm nervous about myself. I'm self-conscious about what I'm going to say. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And over time repeating the process and, and, and it's hard in life, especially if you don't have a podcast where you schedule someone to come in <laughs> and, and talk about yeah. it. Um, it's challenging to, to build up enough experience to the point where you feel comfortable. But I've only had one experience where I've had one experience in my life where, um, a friend of mine who was taking our teacher training, um, she, we, we split our teacher training up into two nine day pieces and they're separated by a few months and about half, uh, we were coming up to doing the second module, the second piece and she wrote me a message and said, and I knew, I knew that she struggled with um, some mental health issues. <clears throat> and she said, I don't think I can do the second nine days uh, because of X, Y, Z. And I said, uh, okay, let's, let's meet up. Do, are you okay? Do you want to meet up and, and chat? And we sat down and we had this super open conversation about her mental health and where she is and how to try to process it in a way where she could still take in our training. If she felt at the end of the day, after we sussed it out, that that would be beneficial for her. And I mean, it was an ideal situation. It was someone who was open to talk about it mm-hmm. from her end and someone who was open to try to support on my end. But it was this way where what we do here in the podcast and, and my experience with educating ourselves through what we do here, where I put it into practice in real life and the outcome was perfection. Yeah. Amazing, and so just right? think about if it, if it's worked into the fucking curriculum at schools, yeah. you know, starting at, at, at the age of, of whatever, 15 or, or 14, like do that, that. If that was a thing cr- across the board from coast to coast. I feel like that would just have profound effects. Oh my God. You know, if it yeah. became, if it became like a, a, you can't not take phys ed, I don't think. Is that true? Uh, I didn't take it in high school. Oh, but oh I really? think at some point it's like, math. people point, stop taking it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It should, but like, for, it should start at, uh, but like in an ideal world, though, like in elementary school, because it's the same way, Jared, that 
like you talk about finding out that CF was um, would sh- shorten your life expectancy. Mm. If you talk about mental health from when as early as you can start to understand the concept of it, then it just becomes something that's second nature and not something that's introduced later on that is harder to understand because of the, the um, I guess, maybe misguided ways that you think about it because you don't have that early education. 100%. Well, as you're saying that, I was thinking, like, if you don't teach it early on, we just come up with our own assumptions. Right. Yeah. Most of that is going to be for movies and things like that, which show mental health or mental illness as like someone running down the hallways of an insane asylum as a schizophrenic yeah. and they Ooh. scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And it's like, that's yeah. what I, a horror that's, film. that's what I yeah. uh, can, thought of when I thought about schizophrenia and I was young walking downtown with my dad and some guy starts yelling at me and I'm like scared shitless of that guy. I shouldn't be scared of that guy. Uh, but in, unless we're teaching it early on that we can have those, we can understand what mental health is. We can understand that people go through things and we learn about it. And some of that stuff is so simple. Like Taylor, you were just saying that you're essentially what held you back from having a conversation was fear. Yeah. And if you put yourself in that person's shoes for a second, because we all do that until we learn otherwise, that person, now that person thinks that anyone that knows that they have an issue is going to be tiptoeing around them. That's mm-hmm. not a way to live. Like mm-hmm. that person's not going, they may be insulted by sometime, something you ask. Being insulted by something you ask is way worse than you just not having a real relationship Ooh. and people not having real conversations with you. And mm-hmm. I think what you guys have found on this show is no matter how crassly you put it, no matter how forward you put it, people are open to having a conversation yeah. around it. And yeah. it's, I mean, the, the going back to what I said at the beginning was the hardest thing for me was learning how to be there for people. It still is when someone in my life that I'm close to needs support. It's every single person is different, even if they're the same illness as someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing that I go back to, there's quite a few, like kind of four or five simple things. One of them is be curious and ask yeah. questions. Like be curious about what that person is going through. Ask questions don't stop asking questions because you need to try to better understand what it's like in their shoes. <coughs> but also, how do I be there for you? Like when someone's really struggling and they're going through a manic episode or they're kind of the extreme end of depression or uh, just having a really bad day, it's probably not the time to ask them how to be there for them. But you do what you can yeah. to support them in whatever way that is. It might be giving them a hug. It might be sitting there with them, not touching them. It may be talking them through it. Uh But the key part of that is when they're in a better state of mind and they're doing a little bit better, and that might be in an hour and it might be in three days, ask, like, how did what I do help? Did Mm -hmm. it help at all? Did I make it worse? And if not, or what could I have done better? Or what would you have wanted me to do in that situation? And I feel like people are afraid of having those conversations. That's when we need to stop, like, have an open and honest conversation like you would about anything else. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. And in that curiosity piece, like you said, if it, you know, it's it's better to ask a question that might insult them to than to not ask the question at all or not have the Ooh. conversation or the relationship. And sometimes and a, a lot of times, the questions that you ask that aren't necessarily the best are probably going to teach you the most about how to go about it differently the next time. And it's like anything in life. It's the things that you do wrong that teach you about how to do it right. And but, like, I mean, we fucked up on this show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, oh, yeah. and we learn from it, you know, and we, and you know, we get people that, and here's the fucking beautiful thing about it. Sure. We say stuff that, that might not be the right thing to ask. Like last night, Drew, you know, it, uh, we did this live show with Drew Dudley and we're talking about his, you know, the, the the passing of his his girlfriend in a really traumatic way and i said how are you so like the, my my question is you know we talked about all this stuff but drew how are you and his response was don't ever ask someone that don't ask me that cuz i don't have an answer and and 
I would never have known to not say that to him, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, maybe that's maybe there's some people who go, I want you to ask me how I am. How did that yeah. the thing? Right? Yeah. And you might feel differently. But in hearing him say that and having him explain why he doesn't want me to say, how are you to him? It at least gives me a, a point of uh, a, a place to like reconsider how it is I'm going to approach someone in the future, knowing that they're going through something very challenging. And right? I think what you learn from that is there's no hard and fast rules. That's right. right. And yeah. a person, if a person's thinking, I think the right way around mental health is, and we mentioned this a little, a little bit already, but someone with depression, someone with an eating disorder, someone with schizophrenia, all deal. Like you have no idea just because you're schizophrenic doesn't mean you know how this guy's mind's working or this mm-hmm. girl's mind is working. And so that piece of there's no like hard and fast rules. Here's the 10 things you need to know about being there for someone that is going to work for everyone. But things like being curious, asking questions, the reason you're doing it is to get to know that person, be better, be, be- if in a better situation to feel like you can put yourself in their shoes a little bit mm-hmm. um, and try to empathize. And the more questions we ask, the more we can empathize and the more we understand how to be there for that individual person and probably a little bit better for everyone in general. Um, but yeah, I totally get where Drew is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you asked different people that same question. They would appreciate it because you just asked it in a yeah. way that was very much not like, how are you? It's how are you? Like, how are you I want to know how you're doing. doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, and, 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 and not to say that I would never ever ask that question mm-hmm. to someone again in the future, but I might come at it from a different yeah. from a different way. There's different ways to do it. And, right? and I, and I, it wasn't on, it wasn't from that question, but it was actually from a crowd question after, uh, that McKean asked was, mm. uh, that I gave was like, we, oh, when you, when you, when, uh, your mom was diagnosed with cancer and I, the next time I saw you, uh, I just gave you a hug. I didn't say anything to you. I didn't really ask you about it. I just gave you a hug. I held you for 10 or 15 seconds mm-hmm. and then we continued to be best friends. And it's like a subtle, it's a subtle Yo, dude, you know that yeah, if I'm you here. ever need me, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm here for this conversation and I'm here for you and I'm here for your mom. And mm-hmm. that just that contact is that is those are those words. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that like with with um, and I, I mean, our relationship as as guys like Taylor and Jer, we know that we just know that we have that relationship with one another, too. So it. It almost makes it a little bit easier to, oh, to do for that. Sure. Mm. But it's like it's that that person that you interact with on a daily basis but might not be best yeah. of friends with that you know is going through a challenging situation. How do you approach them? Because those people who are a little bit further removed, but the people that you still want to be there for and support, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit more challenging to to let them know that you're you're there with like that, a simple gesture like yeah. that and have the, and to already have that connection. Yeah. Um, but that like, but the nod that drew gave mm-hmm. the example of from, from like mm-hmm. one guy to another guy, just that nod of, Hey, we both know what's on our minds. I'm acknowledging that I know how you feel. You're acknowledging that you've received that. And, uh, if you want to talk about it, mm. I'm here, but just by and body I, language. I hate, I hate like referring to past episodes, especially because a lot of people just are like, well, oh, I haven't heard that yet. And, uh, so, and not to like take a moment to plug, but if you want to listen to that episode, go over to our Patreon page and, uh, give us uh, money, give us some of your money and then you can listen to it. Cause it's up on Patreon, uh, like all of our other live shows. Um, but that little, uh, that little head nod thing that Drew was talking about, like a guy to guy kind of like, like the nod of like, Hey, I'm here for you. And it could, thing. it could even I, be like a ball caress, <laughs> well, but yeah. maybe sure. I mean, depending on how, you know, how close subtle you genital uh, touching. <laughs> but, <laughs> that nod thing. I feel like for me would work really well yeah. when I know that person, like if I'm going mm. through something and someone looks at me, so we talked about the nod all the time at Movember and it had a very <laughs> similar thing of like, you're looking at someone and you're like, yeah, we're doing this together. Mm-hmm. It was more about Movember and like kind of, bro code mm-hmm. right um it's like the dave chappelle <laughs> it's like the dave chappelle bit where he's like the, the terrorists are on the yeah. plane <laughs> the, the terrorists are gonna are gonna blow up the plane and like dave and and it's only one other black guy on the plane and they look at each other and they nod at each other like yeah i i'm with you i'm with you and then and then all the all the white people in the plane are like oh my god 
I think these black men are about to, about to take out the terrorists. But really, they're just like, no, fuck that shit. Like, we're safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know we're safe. Um, uh, I want to talk about your, maybe not your time at Movember, but, yeah. you know, Movember is, Movember's played a huge role in in supporting what we've been doing. Totally. You know, like we've recorded in their space. We've done live shows at the, at the office here in Toronto. Um, and they're up to some like really rad stuff. Um, and you, you worked with them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who don't know, like what Movember's kind of, uh, like MO is, why don't you just kind of fill, was fill that pe- a, a pun? No, 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 it actually wasn't, but it is now. Uh, Movember has changed so much over the years. And I mean that, and that uh, originally Movember started, uh, over a conversation, which I think you guys have spoken about this on the show a little bit. There's just a conversation in a bar about things that have gone out of style and not come back in, and they settled on mustaches. And that's like the fun part of how it began. It was two guys having a drink. They asked their friends to grow mustaches with them. There was no reason. It succeeded. People were loving it, so they wanted to put a cause behind it. They thought that the mustache could be for men's health what the pink ribbon has been for women's health. Right. And so they looked into men's health, and they found that prostate cancer was the male equivalent to breast cancer, similar amount of people being diagnosed, similar amount of people dying, uh, yet no one was talking about it, no one was funding it, and no researchers were going into it because there's no money there. Right. And so they started, they decided to raise funds. There's a whole long story that comes with getting prostate cancer going and reaching out to the Prostate Cancer Foundation in Australia. But they. Because that's where it started. In that's Australia, where it started right? in Australia, yeah. And they kind of got laughed at quite a bit when they reached out and said, we're going to grow mustaches and change the face of men's health. It's obviously a pretty funny thing to say, especially prior to November. And uh, it blew up. And they have done incredible things. So it started within prostate cancer because. That was the biggest cause, biggest need for men, and it's moved from prostate to testicular to now men's mental health. Uh, prostate cancer has, in ten years, via Movember, moved fifty years uh, compared to what other cancers would wow. be. It is coming to the point where, in our lifetime, in the next five to ten years, no man is going to die of prostate cancer. They might die with prostate cancer, but they won't die from it mm-hmm. as long as they take care of it and they get checked. Um, that is really almost solely because of what Movember's done and challenging cancer researchers to work together and have no choice but to work together. And they are able to do that because they were and are such a big player in the prostate cancer space. If you're not going to do it our way, you're not going to do it on. Now they've obviously moved into men's mental health, which is a whole other thing. Uh, you have three times the amount of men killing themselves yeah. as women. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. That, is wow. that the stat? That's the stat? That's the stat. Three times as many. More women uh, attempt suicide, more men actually kill themselves. Wow. Um, huh. So who knows? The like psychological reasoning behind that is a whole other thing. Yeah. But men are se- severely underdiagnosed with any sort of mental illness uh, compared to women. Yet we're killing ourselves at an alarmingly higher rate. And it's likely if you talk to me about it, it's we raise men to not share, not right. talk, yeah. not be comfortable with their emotions. Yeah, that, stuff it down, right? Yeah. Stuff it, just fucking force it down. Yeah. Don't like, don't think of a cute little kitten. What's the Bill Burr, like Bill Burr's whole thing? Like you see a cute kitten, so yeah. just something starts welling up, you stuff that shit down. You <laughs> stuff, it, yeah. stuff, it, stuff down. it down and put it in a deep, dark place. Well, and so that whole mentality of stuff it down and don't and don't acknowledge and and sweep it under the rug, is is that one of the reasons why there was such a lack of of um, advocacy and and uh, like awareness and fund funding behind uh, prostate cancer, like because it's 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 a men's health issue and men are like, well, we don't, we, we don't fucking acknowledge that. I would say largely. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I would imagine that it would be. And if you look at everything else, when it comes to men and our health, we are much worse at talking about things. Look at uh, the biggest killer in mental health for mental illnesses is eating disorders. Uh, More people die from eating disorders than any other mental illness. Even, even through men in men. Well, here's the thing. Men, if you look up the stats of eating disorders, men account for a very small portion of eating disorders. But it's also eating disorders are the most stigmatized mental illness. And then if you move to the male side, now we're talking about real stigma around eating disorders. Uh, In the gay community, they're a little bit more open about it. It's probably more prevalent as well because Mm -hmm. there's such massive 
um, demand on men that are gay uh, to have incredible bodies and just be portraying this like, six, eight pack, right. beautiful being. Me. You're me, essentially. Just a slick, sexy otter of a man. <laughs> slick myself, stuff. Yeah. Cool stuff. But the... <laughs> The uh, symptoms of male eating disorders and what it looks like often presents itself quite differently. So our doctors aren't really looking for it. So if you look at like uh, uh, bulimia, people think bulimia is purging and purging is puking. Well, purging isn't puking. Purging is doing anything to get something out of your body. It might be taking a laxative in a lot of men's cases that do have eating disorders. It's going to the gym. And it's going to the gym for five hours. And if you can't right. go to the gym, if you don't go to the gym for those five hours and it's having a severe effect on your life, mm. well, you have an issue and you have an unhealthy relationship with food or working out or whatever else. <laughs> and so that same thing happens around men all over the place, whether it's just general mental illness or cancer and prostate cancer of like, I can't imagine it's anything else other than, yeah, women are better about uh, talking about it. Uh, you know, maybe breasts are more marketable. Than prostitutes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, I'm sure there's a bunch of reasons, but the biggest one across the board would be men aren't comfortable being vulnerable. And if you go back to what Brian was saying about being there for each other and that look and that sort of thing is, and I'm sure you guys get it all the time, is now that you're so comfortable having conversations and being vulnerable yourselves, everyone, as soon as you are that person, reaches out to you and, and tells you a story about something That's they've the been That's the thing. Through. Yeah, they, it's like it builds this sense of trust and it builds this sense of like, of of camaraderie that that you know it's safety safety yeah safety that's it right it's feel you feel safe to like talk to someone who is okay with being vulnerable i mean as soon as but as soon as those people too um reach out then it's almost like they in turn can become that person for somebody else too yeah Yeah. which is all like that's the whole uh, like exponential growth of 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 that support system what do you think is, um, so it's hard to tell from, you know, when you're in it, if when you're in the bubble, it's hard to, you, you think that it's all happening. Yeah. What's your perspective on how the conversation around men's mental health or mental health in general it, is growing in terms of the broad population? I mean, we work in this space, so I see it like kind of really swelling mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, it seems awesome. It's, I mean, you know, obviously there's always work to do, but you're happy and really excited about the growth that's happening. And you work in the same space, right. so do you? Are you able to look outside of the bubble and see <laughs> the kind of more broader effect? I think you get caught in the bubble sometimes, uh, and I think that's across the board. If it's sick boy, let's say, and you're, it's hard to be critical or you're too critical of something that you're so close to. Mm-hmm. And so I think within mental health and mental illness, I think there is a massive bubble happening, and I think there is change happening. Uh, I think from the perspective of like socially conscious 30 plus year olds or 25 to 35s, we're stuck in this bubble of people that are fairly privileged, um, ha- are, are around and are part of that group that are standing up and saying like, we're inclusive. We believe in like you do you and whatever that is, we're going to support it. But that truthfully, that is not what's happening. And I've seen that a few times. Like that is not what's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, if we step out a little bit outside of our network of people, I think you'll see that there's still a ton of homophobia. There's still yeah. there's still a ton of people that don't believe in mental illness um, that think we're soft. Like this generation of young people is soft, which to me is 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 not the fact that you th- th- yeah. that you think that that you can be homophobic that. But if yeah, if we step out a little bit, yeah, um, I, the I thing think we see that I think what the thing that remind I think a great reminder of that is every time there's a major election, every yeah. time there's a major yeah. election, yeah. Yeah. all that shit comes out and you go, whoa, oh, yeah, there are whoa. people that are that think that way, yeah, exactly, like the whole racism thing and uh, crazy, and like Islamophobia and all that yeah. stuff that went on with Trump, like you know, you start going, you know, you, you all we obviously all of our friends are not racist. Mm -hmm. So then when something comes up and you see that there's racism in the world, you go, whoa, not just racism, but like intense. Yeah. Yeah, Like intense, like not just subtle stuff, but like blatant. I hate that. The sad part too, is when you find out that there's more of those people than there are not those people. And it's not like looking at, at Donald Trump getting elected doesn't necessarily mean that there's more racists or, uh, more people who who are homophobic, but the fact that there's a, a president who gets elected after 
mm-hmm. like projecting those ideals is is insane to me. Well, it's like you know, it, it like it's the it, it, it the bubble thing. It, mm-hmm. it I, it's so it's so it's so wrapped up in in the way that we use social media. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like so many of us are we we're so selective in what we choose to acknowledge in the feed our feed that we see hundreds of times a day, you know, like how many fucking times a day do you pick up your phone to look at your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed? It's, it's consistent. It's constant. And we're the ones who choose. We're the ones who cater what that feed is. And when something comes up, oftentimes when something comes up that you disagree with and that you think is like, I cannot believe they said that. Ugh. Unfollow. Yeah. Delete wipe you away from like existence so I don't have to see it. Right. And then yeah. you forget about it. Yeah. And I don't then, want anybody on here who isn't confirming my bias. Which is, <laughs> which is also, if you go down the path of saying something, you end up being that person on yeah. Facebook or Instagram that gets in like a long conversation with someone that's like to the point where they yeah. would just, they're so stubborn. They'll never change. I was oh, in, yeah. uh, in Burlington and just like to step outside of the circle a little bit. Mm. I went uh, for this rugby thing and we all dressed in like tight and bright. This was last year, right around like election time. And I was wearing, I think like pink socks up to my knees, a pink like fluffy shirt I had gotten from, like really tight fluffy shirt I had gotten from Value Village. This is and like I a big rugby sort of tradition, isn't like it? dressing like, up, yeah. yeah. It was another rugby club, but I was just going out uh, with a couple friends with them. And uh, I was leaving and getting, waiting for like food from like the shawarma guy outside and I don't remember the conversation completely, but this woman looks at me, she's probably 30 plus years old, and goes, you look really gay. Whoa. And I, I'm used to Toronto, right? Like, yeah. You can't say things like no. that to people in Toronto or everyone yeah. around you is going to say, and I really looked at her, gay. I was like, and I looked oh at her, I was God. like, okay, th- like, is there, do you have an issue with it? And I'm like, not being controversial at all, not, not or confrontational. I, but I'm not going to say nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is there an issue with that? And she's like, well, I just like, I just think you should know that you look <laughs> like a faggot. Whoa. Like literally in front of people, like there's other Whoa. people hearing this. And I looked at her and I, I don't know what to say Do in that situation what? other than like, Hey, I don't really know what issue you have with that. I don't really care that you think I look like a faggot at all, but I hope you grow up someday, like grow up and teach yourself something. Yeah. Cause like, I feel bad for you. That is and, so intense. Uh, and I don't want to like be a, too much of an asshole there. Yeah. Cause yeah. like I do go home and like feel bad about yourself a little bit and like educate yourself and don't be yeah. an asshole. Cause that's being it. an asshole to them is going to, is going to reconfirm their aggression mm. towards you. Cause right. that's all that yeah, shit no, does. Totally, yeah. You'll never change anybody's mind by being angry back at them. Yeah. You know? But what like, a stark reminder, right? <laughs> that, totally. that yeah. it is a bubble. Yeah. Like we, and we, we, we happen to like live in these bubbles and we forget and we forget that this and is And that's the negative side, but there is the positive side of like that bubble does exist. That mm-hmm. bubble is huge. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of people that do care and they're generally the ones that are louder socially. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully as time goes, that bubble gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. That bubble bursts and bursts all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, And, and yeah. To, just to like kind of tie it all the way back to why we got into this is like, you know, asking if this, if this, all this talk about mental health and, and, you know, being vulnerable as, as men and, and all those kinds of things and, and surrounding yourself with those kinds of people, how big is that bubble getting? And, and is that like, is there, is there an effect? Do you, are you seeing change? Um, and I don't know if, did you, if you answered it or not, but like if, when you do step outside of that bubble and not, not like looking at the, the shitty people of the world bubble, yeah. but like the, is mental health or the conversations around mental health, the conversations around men's health. Um, are you seeing that, that sort of bubble broaden? Yeah, I think so. Um, And I think the biggest thing you can take from that is, I mean, the broadening is happening. More people are talking about it. If you looked at like stats and PR and media and all that, conversations are growing and growing every year. More money is being funneled into it for both awareness and education and research, which is fantastic. We do not understand mental illness enough Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. from a research scientific perspective. Um, there's some really cool like experimental treatment that are going on or just treatment in general that would blow your mind about the effect they can have when it like you just uh, – it's hard to see the connection between the two. I can explain it. But uh, I think the the conversation is definitely happening. It is widening. 
Um, there's still shittiness out there of people that have heavy stigma and, and all that jazz. But on the other side, I think we just that makes it more important for the people in those in those bubbles to keep pushing themselves outside of their boundaries and having conversations with people that are stubborn and have a certain way of looking at things. And I have a really good friend of mine. She's incredible. She's probably the the had the biggest effect on my life in regards to understanding other people and being empathetic and understanding their situations, uh, where they come from and knowing that you'll never be able to really understand it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, her, her piece is really around, uh, sorry, she gets at times worked up is where I was going with that. And she's such a good teacher. She has taught me so much, but can get really worked up when someone is ignorant. Yeah. And I think it's really important. We've had the conver- I've had the conversation with her both back and forth about so many things. One of them is how do you deal with those people and what do you do? Like what's your job as someone that's trying to hopefully make the world a better place and just be a good person? And she's so quick to be mad at that person mm-hmm. that in the conversation we had is like you lose a, a, learn- a, ho- a possible teaching opportunity. Yeah, a learnable like, moment. Yeah. For me, it's like ask that person where it's coming from. Like, oh, like without disagreeing with them, just like, tell me about that. Why do you think that? And then like they, they can tell you why if they're open and tell you why. And then hopefully you can be like, hey, have you ever yeah. mm, thought about it that this other way? That's mm-hmm. for me quite clearly and so obvious and for all of you it would be as well. But for them it's not. And just like how do we mm-hmm. hold back anger a little bit and hopefully look at crappy situations as teaching opportunities. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fuck, this is a great conversation. Fuck yeah. yeah I love definitely. this. I love these. This is great. Good job, guys. <laughs> I think this whole thing was a real good learnable moment. <laughs> yeah, this was all very learnable. Uh, learned. Very well, learned. Yeah. Uh, we stuck to the script and sounded uh, pretty compelling, too. Like, made this sound pretty mm, real. Like, as if we were not reading it off a page. Yeah, which yeah. is great. <laughs> it's yeah. great. Uh, Jesse, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for coming me. in. It was really, really yeah. fun. Awesome to have a conversation with you guys. I yeah. always love when I do and love listening to you guys talk to everyone else. So thank you. I, I do want to acknowledge that um, in terms of just, I know, I know maybe, maybe we just cut this out because it's a can of worms that uh, <coughs> is, is open and we don't have time to kind of talk about it. But when we were in Toronto last, mm-hmm. we meant to record with you mm-hmm. and on the topic of grief, um, and the challenge around losing somebody, we couldn't record with you that day because we had just learned that one of our friends, Matt Amiot, who was one of our first guests on the show, had had died, and that was uh, a, a like, that was a big bomb that dropped on us that day. Um, and I am so happy that we have come around um, to getting you on the show. Um, because at the same time as we we had to take that time that day, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to talk with you, <laughs> and I'm glad that we made our way back to it. And we also discussed like possibly just doing the recording anyway because of the topic and yeah. because of the. And we thought that hey, you know maybe it's it's good just to talk about this anyway, whether it's something that we put up or or we just use it as an opportunity to be four guys talking mm-hmm. about something as challenging as losing a. Uh, a friend, right? Yeah. And we were, but we were also super just hung over. So it was just nice to have a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember, uh, cause Matt was one of your first guests, right? Yeah. 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 yeah so I remember when I first started listening to sick boy, uh, I remember hearing his story and he was, uh, of all the people on the show, I think just so super open and like, Oh yeah. Relaxed. Hilarious. Open minded yeah. about open-minded. it. It was incredible to listen yeah. to. And, uh, and I think that says a lot considering the amount of people that you have on this show, that are totally comfortable talking about things that are mind blowing mm-hmm. in regards to having like being that vulnerable. And, uh, no, I think it's, it's great that we were able to reschedule. I'm happy. I'm happy we did. I think it's, it's, uh, it's been a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And next week we'll be back with another amazing episode. I'm sure. Uh, in the meantime, head on over to iTunes. It would mean the world to us, honest to God, if you uh, just took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Uh, keeps us kind of like on the billboard charts of podcasts, basically. Why do you keep saying it every week, dude? It's not like it's that important. It's pretty important, so I say it every week. And uh, also, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and uh, you can find out information on our live shows, which we just sold one out in Toronto and did it last night, and it was really fun. And if you missed it... 
you might want to be at the next one. That's got to be yeah. the third one you sold out. That was our, actually, we've sold out every, every show. live show we've done, which is, uh, I think we're like up to seven now. And it was our second live show in Toronto that we sold out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, good, it was a good time. We're going to be coming back for yeah. sure. We've also got Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash sickboy. You can contribute there. It's uh, a monthly contribution. You get some awesome exclusive content. And the live shows that we do all go up there and they're exclusive to people who contribute to I'm, Patreon. I'm super proud of our content that we provide on Patreon. I feel like mm-hmm. it's like a really great um, benefit to those who who are big fans of the podcast and those who want to support uh, a a a good movement. Mm-hmm. That was a really awesome yeah. pitch, Bri. Yep. What's the last thing that we that we do? So, if you're a Patreon subscriber or or patron and you want to, one of those cool perks, it's ten percent off our. Sick Boy merch. 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 And you can get that by heading to shop.sickboypodcast.com or just go to sickboypodcast.com and click on the shop link. You got it. Uh, that is it this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.